0: leading ideas talks podcast is brought to you by the lewis center for church leadership of wesley theological seminary in washington dc subscribe free to our weekly e-newsletter leading ideas at churchleadership.com leading ideas leading ideas talks is also brought to you by adult christian study curriculum from the lewis center bring the best of contemporary Christian scholarship to your congregation's in-person and online small groups and classes. Our video-based curriculum encourages energetic discussion and personal reflection on a number of subjects. Studies include Journey Through the Psalms, Simply Christian, Religion and Science, Nature, Our First Way of Knowing God, and many more. Learn more and watch sample videos at churchleadership.com studies. The pandemic taught us that church happens in powerful and meaningful ways outside our buildings. In this episode, Dave Barnhart describes how small, home-centered worshiping communities can connect with people who may never cross the threshold of your church.
1: I'm Ann Michael. I'm one of the editors of Leading Ideas e-newsletter, and I'm the host for this episode of Leading Ideas Talks. I'm speaking today with Dave Barnhart, who's pastor of St. Junia, which is a network of house churches in Birmingham, Alabama, and he's also the author of a book, Church Comes Home, Start a House Church Network Anywhere, Uh, and I'm so excited to be speaking with him today about the potential of the house church movement and perhaps also what those of us who are in um, what he calls Legacy Church can learn from the experience of house churches. So welcome, Dave, it's so good to have you with us.
2: Thanks, it's great to be here.
1: Yeah, so um, to begin, I wondered if you could just very briefly share a bit of your story of how you got involved as a planter and leader of house churches.
2: Sure. Um, Well, I I began, I have had an idea that I wanted to start a church for a long time, especially um, my own affinity group are people who've been um, hurt or burned by church or who don't feel like they fit in church. We we live in Alabama, which is one of the most uh, churched places around, but it also means that people who aren't, um, who may be seeking or maybe unchurched, feel very isolated and um, also very marginalized by the Christian fundamentalist culture that we live in. And so I, in uh, 2012, started uh, church planting. I went to some church planting trainings and various kinds of boot camps through the Methodist church. And um, we, we started a church in 2012 that was really more of a conventional church. We had a band, we had a venue, and that sort of thing. Um, but what we found was that a lot of people, we, we'd, have, we'd have these sort of Two reactions. People would either come and say, hey, this is great, but then they wouldn't come back, or they would tell me, um, hey, I love what you're doing. I love your theology. I love the way you're trying to reach people who don't feel like they fit. Um, I'm never going to church again, but I love what you're doing. (laughs) So um, I struggled with how how do we create uh, sticking power and we found that that really the place we got most traction was in our small groups that we were running at the time. And so we sort of pivoted in 2016 to doing um, house churches to really focusing on that smaller intentional group. Um, and uh, it's that's kind of where it blossomed. Um, we've had uh, a lot of success at what point we had uh, six house churches. Um, but and I think at the most. Uh, We had about half the people who were attending the church hadn't been to church in six months so i felt like that was we were really getting some uh some good traction there um but the uh the process of learning about house church uh we had to sort of adapt some of what was already out out there house church has been going on for a long time uh since the you know well since the beginning really what we started doing was something that was a little more intentionally liturgical uh so we have a liturgy uh we read scripture responsively. uh we have some some guided prayer time and then we have conversation and it's really the conversation where i think a lot of the discipleship happens um so instead of me standing up and talking to people uh they're bringing their own perspectives since that's where people really were getting we're seeing most growth um, most spiritual growth most discipleship and um started doing that in 2016 and have have been doing it ever since. Of course, COVID has kind of thrown a wrench into things. Um, But we've been meeting online um, and occasionally meeting in smaller groups as well. So
1: So, um, for the sake of our listeners, could you define house church uh, and how you see house churches as distinct from other religious gatherings that might happen either in people's homes or in um, non-institutional settings?
2: Yeah, well, I think one of the biggest confusions of oftentimes is people think of house churches as small groups, and they do have a lot in common. But the mm-hmm. idea is this is the worshiping community, like getting together. Um, sometimes we sing. Uh, I'll admit music is not great <laughs> typically <laughs> in a house church unless you've got some very talented people. But the focus really is this is our worshiping community. Um, and we do, a, we have the way we do it is we have a liturgy. Um, oftentimes we use uh, common prayer, which is um, by uh, Shane Claiborne and Enuma Okoro and Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove. Uh, but we've started using recently Wilda Gaffney's um, a women's lectionary for the whole church uh, and creating a liturgy out of that. So we have scripture readings, um, kind of call and response. Uh, when we meet, we do communion um, and it's really focused more on this. Is, this is the worship experience. This is in addition to something else. So I would say that's one of the biggest differences. Um, other, uh, I mean, there's certainly lots of other ways that discipleship happens in homes, small groups, um, book studies, you know, variety of things. And we do some of those things. We do book studies and and service projects. And but the, what what really um, what really sets house churches apart is this is the primary worshiping community, and it's you know usually a dozen to twenty people at the most. Uh, so it's intentionally small. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, that's kind of a, that. That's it in a nutshell. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So you're serving a network of how or you have mm-hmm. um, uh, planted a network of house churches. Can you can you kind of describe those communities and how they connect to one another?
2: Sure. Well, and again, I have to put a asterisk beside this because things have been different for the last two years uh-huh. uh, because of covid at, at our at our peak. We were doing six house churches, which I'll be honest is a little too much um, for one person Four house churches is about ideal. Um, but we would have they would meet at different times. Uh, some would meet um, some meet Wednesdays uh, Wednesday nights. Um, that was a group largely of people who worked on Sundays and couldn't go to a Sunday church. Uh, We have uh, we'd have groups that met in Birmingham and in Huntsville. So occasionally I would go back and forth between Huntsville and Birmingham to be with those uh, those different churches. Um, And they could meet. We would often have one in the morning and one in the afternoon. So I would typically drive around, but I also had some people who were sort of lay pastors who helped lead other other house churches. And those would be the people I work very closely with because I'm essentially training them to do what I'm doing. Um, and that that enabled me to reach people I wouldn't otherwise normally reach. So we had one house church that was, or we we have one house church that's led by a, a black man um, who does a lot of work in uh, HIV prevention, and so he had access to people I would never reach, and I really felt like um, that was that was that was one of the powerful that is one of the powerful things about house churches, um, I have an intern working with me right now. Um, who's a woman who's reaching people who have been hurt by church and really wouldn't trust a man as their pastor. Um, and I, f- I feel like that is uh, a way that we can overcome some of the church hurt that keeps people from um, from accessing uh, accessing church and from hearing the good news.
1: Yeah, so what you were just sharing, um, that really leads me to my next question because I, I think your book does cast a very inspiring vision of how house churches uh, can have the potential to reach people that other churches aren't able to reach, uh, but at the same time, something I really appreciated about your book was that it was really very balanced um, and realistic in um, assessing both the strengths and the weaknesses of house churches, and so, uh, and in fact, there's one point in the book where you actually list the, some of the pros and cons of house churches. So, yeah. I thought that might be interesting for our listeners to know as well. What do you see as some of the strengths of house churches? But what are some of the what are some of the limitations?
2: Well, definitely, I think the strength is its its versatility. I mean, I, I feel like house churches really get that sense of. You know, Jesus throws seed and wherever the seed lands, a house church can grow. I mean, it, and it really is this, I think, very distributed model of of how we reach a wide variety of people. Like I said, there's people as as a white straight guy that I'm not going to reach. And just because I'm automatically uh, a suspect um, with good reason. Um, and there are other but there are other um, uh, things that are great about having a non-distributed, having a distributed network, because if something happens to me, these other house churches are going to keep meeting. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't, I don't have to be present for them. And it's a, such a simple model that it's easily reproducible.
1: Right.
2: I think that's, I think that's and especially as I think about the future, things like COVID, <laughs> things like, um, and, and climate change, other crises, global crises that we may face. I, I just feel like house churches are going to be very resilient because they're not dependent upon a uh, top-heavy structure. There are things that house churches can't do. I mean, the things like legacy churches are going to do better just because there is economies of scale. Um, you know, they're, they're going to be able to have more programs, especially for um, children and, and young people. They're going to have a little more leverage to do things like buy medical debt for folks or, or whatever, you know, large programs that they do. Um, I think Uh, I think, though, that part of it is just recognizing that there's there's people, especially in this the world we live in now where there's such distrust of institutions. um, And distrust of institutions across the range. I mean, whether people are political uh, whether they're conservative or liberal, whether we're talking political institutions or faith institutions, people are just very suspicious right now. Mm -hmm. Most I've ever seen. Um, And to be able to still reach people who are have questions about you know who are you really representing what's what's your real angle i think that's one of the things that house churches help do you know come have dinner let's see (laughs) let's have a conversation uh that's where the genuine uh, human connection happens that's where discipleship happens i think
1: so your book was written really, I think just before the onset of COVID and, and the tremendous surge of interest in, in virtual ministry. And, you know, I as I'm reading about hybrid and virtual ministry, the subject of, you know, meeting in people's homes as a companion to virtual ministry uh, comes up repeatedly. Uh, and so I guess, given your definition and experience of house church, um, what, how are you seeing that uh, evolve now in a time when virtual ministry has become more um, popular?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I th- would think our style fit really well with doing uh, virtual ministry because music wasn't one of our big uh, strengths anyway. Um, conversation really is our strength webinars work really well for for that style of uh, participatory preaching i should say Um, i usually talk for about 10 to 15 minutes and then most of the rest of it is conversation Um, and i have worship leaders which typically are the leaders of other house churches who um, are sort of my webinar conversation partners and then we take comments from facebook and youtube and the zoom chat uh and it has worked really well. Um I would say it's been a little difficult because the thing is if people are reluctant to go to go to church for health reasons, then they're also not likely to want people in their homes for health reasons. So that hasn't um there hasn't been a lot of ability to uh sync up those things. But what we've have started doing is we've we've been doing a lot of meeting outside. And mm-hmm. that's more of a social thing, more of getting together for, you know. Meals, conversation, um, and that sort of thing, whereas, you know, worship happens online uh, in this sort of conversational format.
1: Do you imagine going forward that there might be house churches that um, exist solely in virtual space? I mean, do, do you see that as an extension of the movement?
2: I think that could. I mean, I certainly can see that as a possibility. I, it wouldn't work for my folks. Okay. Um, as well, I think. Um, although, I, I don't know, I, I just said that, but then I, I question it because we do have a lot of folks. One thing people aren't aware of is how many people out there have social anxiety and other things that prevent them mm-hmm. from to large gatherings. Um, and if you're working with people who have some kind of disability or, or significant anxiety who don't wanna leave uh, their home, then online is great. Um, Mm -hmm. I do think, you know, we, we feel a loss in that part of the strength of house churches is that intimate connection. And so there's a loss of, Mm -hmm. of that, but I do think, um, I do think there are people more than we often realize who just have a real hard time getting out of the house.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like too, from the way you've described your churches, they, some of them have kind of a, a niche character of, of bringing together people of a certain affinity and in a virtual space, you may have the ability to gather people, maybe who aren't na- neighbors, necessarily, who share that affinity.
2: That's definitely, definitely the case. Yeah, this is mm-hmm. I, that's one thing I, I talk about in the book. This is a very niche. Like if you're after the people who aren't going to come to church, <laughs> right? How you That's that's a you're after a niche. And mm-hmm. um, and recognizing how hard it is, I, I've, all the church planting conferences I've gone to, all the training I went to, uh, has a very triumphalistic uh, idea about gathering people or reaching the unchurched. And most of the time, it's like, get them to come to our thing. Mm-hmm. And I just, I feel like that's not, um, that's not going to reach the people who right. aren't already willing to come to your thing. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. So go to rather than, than, than come here. Absolutely. Um, so, um, you know, one of the things that struck me uh, during COVID, especially uh, in the early months of the lockdown, was that there really was renewed attention to how people practice faith at home. Um, and and what, what first motivated me to pick up your book was, um, you know, I, I think that experience of the COVID um, lockdown really revealed to a lot of us that particularly mainline Protestants um, haven't really been equipped uh, to live uh, their lives of faith at home in terms of personal devotions or fostering faith within their homes or within their um, families. And so I wondered if there are any lessons from your work with house churches for those of us who are part of what you call legacy churches um, but are nonetheless interested in practicing faith more intentionally at home or in small gatherings.
2: Yeah, so one of the first things that comes to mind is um, we have had a tradition of doing an epiphany house blessing, um, which is something you it's it's, you know, it's a tradition from um, I, I began in the Church of England, I think, or I'm not sure where it actually began, but the idea is you chalk a blessing over your door and there's a little, you know, recitation that you do. It's great to do with kids, especially if you can pick a kid up and hold them and let them chalk over the door. And so there's there's stuff you can do like that that I think is um, ritual that's personally meaningful. Mm -hmm. uh, And that you that really you can do at home. I mean, so I I know this this may sound a little little scandalous. But when you when I think about the people who are interested in kind of DIY religion, people interested in new age practices, um, Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. So much of it is this is something you can do at home. Like here's something you can and even if regardless of whether as you agree with that or not, if it fits with your theology, the point is they're doing something at home, right? Mm -hmm. And so often what we what we do in legacy mainline denominations is come here. This is where religion happens at our location and giving people the tools to do ritual at home, connect them to something bigger than themselves. I think that's so important. Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm So, um one of the things that I found um, most inspiring about your book um, was that it has a vision for a different a different leadership dynamic really uh, and you wrote uh, when a pastor sits among many in a circle instead of standing in front and preaching to an audience the dynamic changes mm-hmm. and uh, I'm a layperson uh, and I'm pretty passionate about the idea of a more inclusive paradigm of ministry so I wondered if you could um, comment on the leadership dimension of house churches and, and and sort of what what the leadership development practices are that you're uh, cultivating.
2: Yeah, so we really look at uh, uh, my dis- discipleship model is really based on covenant discipleship groups, uh, mm-hmm. which have this you know beautiful holistic idea of worship, devotion, compassion, and justice, and we added witness. Uh, that so that there's five areas of discipleship and part of the idea is that we're always engaging each of those areas both as individuals and then as a community so individual is devotion individual mercy but also corporate worship corporate justice and then witness binds all that together so um thinking about each of those areas of of christian leadership and teaching them to people like this is why we do justice this is why we do devotion um that that's that really is something that the whole community possesses so to kind of make that a lived experience the sage on the stage model of preaching just doesn't doesn't work very well right that has to be a kind of how are we living as community and i do feel like house churches are closer to things like intentional community i mean you hear words like the new monasticism and that kind of stuff um which i i resonate with and i think there's a craving for uh, what does this mean in my lived experience among my my friends and my neighbors?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for that. I mean, do you? It sounded like you are working to to um, really mentor others to to lead to lead churches themselves. What what yeah. is that like?
2: Yeah. So typically, well, it's interesting because um, the way that it's happened for me is I've just sort of bumped into people who tell me they resonate with house churches and occasionally I'll make an appeal. Hey, if you want to talk about starting a house church and someone will come to me and say, I really think I'm ready to do this. Or I've been thinking about this for a while, praying about this. And I feel like I have an ability to reach my friends who don't go to church, right. Who oftentimes express a longing. Like they've told me what they miss, but that they're not going back for whatever reason. And so I want to create a community for them. Hmm. And I think, I, I think God just provides those people um, like here, here's someone who has connections to someone I'm never going to have a connection to. And uh, I think that's, um, uh, I just, I work with that person to say, this is how we do it. And it's, it's an easily replicable model that can adapt to whatever, um, whatever their context is, whatever their cultural background is.
1: Mm-hmm. So so um, something else that intrigued me in your book Was that you you seem to really um, have in your mind uh, the paradigm of innovation and change? Uh, and and you uh, you know you use some of the the language of church innovation when you talk about the idea of one of the advantages of planning uh, house churches is that they can fail fast, or yeah. you talk about the idea of starting a group that has a trial period, and you even talk about the house church movement as a disruptor, yeah. uh, you know, in the the ecology of of the of the broader uh, church ecosystem. And so um, I wonder if you could. Uh, if, if you can uh, speak to that. I mean, how you see house churches being um, an instrument of, of change and innovation?
2: Yeah, well, I do think, uh, again, like you said, that rapid deployment, you know, you can start a house church, it doesn't take $250,000 to and, and, you know, four years of training to get it started. Um, and you can launch it. And if it if it succeeds, great, if not, you don't, you don't worry about it. This is like, part of it's having a, a more Uh, Buddhist mindset about letting things go right Um, things if things happen if they don't succeed work the way you had in your mind it's okay you reached some people right you had those those life-changing valuable conversations and and I think that's that's really a ministry approach that the broader church needs uh, because we have such a corporate business mindset of anything we do has to succeed and has to be quote self-sustaining, uh, right. even the very act of church planting, right? So like the whole act of church planting, the metric for success is you plant and then cer- certain number of years, you are then self-sustaining you, that's, you know, honestly, that's just not going to happen with house churches. Um, I'm working on being, I'm aspiring now to be bivocational <laughs> so that so that I can start more house churches so that it's so that my income isn't dependent on on this process. Um, and the fact is um, most churches aren't quote self-sustaining. Right. They're they're getting uh, resources from other places. And it and you know, honestly, um, uh, the reason that they've grown in the way that they have the reason we have mega churches and the reason we have uh, very large churches is because, uh, is more economic, uh, than spiritual. It's right. because of the way that we extract resources and put them into business. So.
1: Mm-hmm. Or there are churches that are being sustained through their legacy, you know, either the value of their property, their buildings, yeah. their endowments. Um, and if they, you know, if they had to sustain themselves based on their current revenue and expenses, they couldn't do it. Absolutely, uh, That only, that only goes so far. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm curious. Um, since you've uh, you know you've you've written on this subject, you must have a sense of you know beyond uh, your work uh, in in Alabama. Is there a way of knowing um, how big this house church phenomena is, either within the U.S. or or worldwide?
2: It's oh man, it's it's so impossible to measure because you have places like China where house churches are the dominant form of church. You know, um, there have been people in in the non-denominational world who've been doing house churches for ages. You know, Frank Viola is one of the big names and right. um, from the 80s and 90s who's been planting house churches forever, and um, You know, typically the way we especially I'm Methodist, so we our denominational uh, our denominational structure is very interested in metrics. (laughs) How do you measure all these different things and house churches are so fluid um, and they're so hard to count. Um, Some of the research that that Frank Viola did said that the average lifespan of a house church is between six months and two years, I think so you're not talking about something that's going to be around for 100 years you know, that you can look at and point to and say that membership is X number. It's, it's much more amorphous. There are estimates um, that there are more people in house churches than are going to um, legacy churches
1: uh-huh.
2: uh, worldwide, especially. And I don't, I don't know how you could ever, I don't know how you could ever measure that. And then, uh-huh. you know, you get in that fuzzy area, like, well, what are you going to, what are you considering a church? Do they have to take up an offering uh, do they have to do sacraments? What is, it, what is it that counts as church? And then suddenly you're in a whole messy theological.
1: Yeah, no, it, it does raise questions about you know, what your ecclesial definitions are. I mean, when when you when you said that you know sustainability means you can pay a pastor and, and and have a building, I mean, I think that is the de facto definition of church in our denomination, whether we want to admit it or not. And so, right. you know, I, I can see how see how it gets in gets into that. Um, to to begin to draw things to a close. Um, I wanted to ask you the question, um, you know, you you call standing churches, legacy churches. Mm-hmm. I, I I have a hard time putting that out of my mouth because in other circles, legacy churches are those that are making a decision intentionally to die. Oh, ugh. <laughs> so, uh, mm-hmm. so but, but Your language is to call those churches legacy churches, so I'll use that. Um, so what are some of the key lessons that um, that legacy churches can take away uh, from what you've mm-hmm. learned about, about house churches?
2: I think one one of the big things and this so I spent uh, I spent a good portion of my ministry in some some more traditional quote traditional slash legacy slash institutional churches, uh, one that had a membership of about 3000 one that was a small country church, and um, I think one of the important things is this idea of programming. programming is just it's it's, in fact, I don't even like the word anymore. Um, I think so, so much of ministry um, needs needs to be more relational and to um, to not hang on to things that really ought to ought to die. Um, Mm -hmm. Oftentimes we keep something going because we don't want to hurt someone's ego. Um, Instead of saying, look, this, this thing was good. It served its purpose. Now let's move on to something else and to have more of a future orientation than idea that you know i've invested in x and i need to keep it going Um, i think that's one of the one of the main things the other thing is i think i'll I'll say just for me it's the perception of a church ecosystem Um, one of the things i talk about in the book is we use this phrase the institutional church and i just think it's not um, it doesn't describe the actual institution which includes publishers consultants academia you know we're just thinking about the denominational structures that's just one little piece of the full church ecosystem and for me i want to include those i want to include those things that don't get captured the intentional communities of people who don't go to church but who have a religious orientation in, in their lives um and and the the i call them the mystics and monastics um, the people who gather in formal communities um all that is part of an ecosystem instead of a quote institution. Um, And I, I think those are important aspects of church life that often get pushed to the side or get ignored.
1: Okay. Well, thank you for that. Um, Thank you for this conversation, Dave. Um, This is such an interesting subject. I I learned so much from reading your book. In fact, the first time I read it, I was ready to go start my own housework. I was so excited about it. So I really do think that there there is something here uh, that that gets at the essence of of what our calling is as Christians and our calling to to reach uh, people that otherwise might not be reached by our ministry. So I want to thank you for um, adding this to our dialogue. uh, And um, thanks for the wonderful conversation today.
0: I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us for Leading Ideas Talks. Please like and subscribe to this channel and click the bell icon to get updates for new videos.